Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Please note, this pod covers some heavy topics. Some of it can be triggers. So today, it's just going to be me. I'm going to tell you a, well, a chunk of my story. (laughs) I'm going to start it kind of late in life. And I've got a great reason to start here. Here is actually the best part of my story. Here, after decades, I've now finally forgiven myself. See, forgiveness the greatest gift I've ever given myself. They say holding on to anger, resentment, and grudge is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. I have to say how much I love that quote. Now, the attribution is actually contentious. They've said it was said by everybody from Buddha to Nelson Mandela. That doesn't really matter to me who said it. It's a really important quote. And forgiving others doesn't always come easy. Forgiving myself, that was next to impossible. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know I was supposed to forgive myself. Shame and guilt were the poisons that I drank. Shame because I believed everything I was was wrong. Guilt because everything I did was wrong. Can you tell that I went to a very Catholic school? Never were my poisons, guilt and shame, more bitter than in 1972 when my dear friend Andrea passed away. Many years later, I finally came to understand the gift that she actually gave me. See, my friend Andrea took her own life on New Year's Eve. She hanged herself. I felt such guilt that Andrea didn't think she could talk to me. I felt shame when I couldn't tell my Catholic parents that Andrea had hanged herself. You see, in the Catholic Church, suicide is the ultimate mortal sin. And my friend Andrea was Jewish. Now, my parents, who were incredibly Catholic, it felt to me that it was just going to be impossible to tell them the news. See, deep inside, I felt I needed to protect Andrea, protect her from any judgment. Now, don't get me wrong, my parents didn't judge. That was just my Catholic upbringing had me feeling that they would be judging. And I honestly didn't even understand that till just a few years ago. You know, in, in the meantime, Andrea's parents were concerned about consoling us, her friends, and making sure that we didn't think somehow we were at fault. You know, Jewish people also believe in guilt and shame, but it's almost like Catholicism, you believe in guilt, shame, and blame. 
my Catholic friends, my Protestant friends, and I myself felt tremendous guilt and shame. I carried that guilt, shame, and blame around for 39 years. Now, it's really important for your own well-being that you forgive others. You know, as in that old adage above, hanging on to anything that you're not forgiving is ridiculous and, quite frankly, self-abusive. You're the only one that suffers. To forgive doesn't always come easy. And forgiveness doesn't always happen fast. Forgiveness of self, it's truly the most beneficial, the most freeing, uh, the most important thing you can do for you. Now, over a lifetime, there can be many, many people that you need to forgive. You know, the funny thing is that many of us are both blind and deaf to the thought that the person we need to forgive the most is ourself. Have you ever spoken to yourself so viciously in public that others have looked at you oddly? Have you ever used derogatory terms about yourself for anything from a tiny mistake to something really huge? Bet you never thought of it as abuse. Not when you were doing it to yourself. It actually took a number of different people repeatedly pointing out that I would never allow another human being to suffer that kind of abuse. I would champion anyone who was being attacked by such a barrage. Why, oh why, would I speak to myself that way? I can honestly say, never even thought about it. I know now that, like me, if you haven't forgiven yourself for any major crisis in your life, and in my case, in my life, there were a whole lot of instances of crises. You too could be berating yourself and chipping away at whatever self-esteem you might have had over and over in ways that quite often we don't even realize have everything to do with our lack of empathy and confidence for ourselves. Sometimes, like a wounded animal, we can bite. Sometimes you just fade into the background. You don't let your voice be heard. You some simply run away from any and all confrontation. And sometimes, God help me, we act in such a bizarre fashion, we even shock ourselves. So how much of all that angst and crap in your life is actually due to your lack of forgiveness of yourself? Let me tell you, I got schooled by all those people asking me what on earth I was doing. 
and in what I like to call my lightning flash of clarity, I mentally relived a moment of shame, cowardice, and fear from about 10 years before. And the peace that I needed, that peace that taught me how to forgive, came from a weird, embarrassing memory of my limbic brain taking charge of my body. Now, by now, I'm sure you're thinking, whoa, just how many people do you think you need to forgive? And in all honesty, there were those that did cause me great harm. I was crushed between three cars when I was 20. I went in for a surgery that the recovery should have been three weeks and ended up being more than 30 years. Surgery after surgery after surgery. Sometimes, some of the simplest things, some of the things that you might think are really glaringly evident, sometimes, I have to say it takes me a while, <laughs> a long while. I've learned that if you don't get the lesson, you are doomed to repeat it over and over and over. So finally, after we had to go to court for the doctor who butchered me, and after an incredibly long drawn out trial, more than 11 years, which cost us dearly. And after oh, dozens and dozens and dozens of return to the hospital, more surgeries, more procedures, more, ugh, just more. The final insult added to injury. 1997. I got hit by another car in a parking lot in a plaza not five minutes from my home. The big huge man, that's what our whole family calls him. Well, this guy had major rage issues and we were in the wrong place. I knocked on the back of his car letting him know we were behind his vehicle because he was looking in the other direction. This sent him into a blind rage. He dove out of his car, screaming and swearing and yelling at my daughter, my son, and my four-year-old granddaughter. I hurried the kids along and we told him to get back in his car and get lost. He got back in his car all right. He drove up the lot to where our car was and he tried to run over my family. I couldn't have that. I got in the way of the kids and as I landed on his hood, he backed up and seemed to be planning to drive off with me on his hood. Well, thank luckily for me, a group of shoppers surrounded the car and made him stop. By the time the ambulance arrived, my doctor's office was right there, so he was there. And lots of people were looking after my kids. And in that moment, it was so surreal. 
in my head, I said, I've just had enough. Okay, what on earth was my problem? Why did I attract such crap? I realized I was the common denominator. You know, how, how could I figure this out? There, there had to be more to life than this. To go from accident to surgery to accident to surgery. I mean, it was just a brutal story that was so filled with horror and tragedy. I was embarrassed to tell anybody, which is why I never did. Leaving the hospital that time, I started to devour every self-help book I could get my hands on. I was laid up for months, so had lots of time to read. Again. The Ninth Insight, The Four Agreements. And I found my Aunt Kathleen's old copy of Psycho-Cybernetics. All of these led me, eventually, to making an appointment to see a spiritual mentor. My son actually calls her the holistic missile now, and for very good reason. So I start to work with this mentor, and she begins to strip away the layers of, well, quite frankly, crap. See, we humans, we're like onions, and when you strip away one layer, well, bam, guess what? There's another, and another and another <laughs> for you to go through. It seems I'm really good at hanging on to the crap <laughs> and only letting go in my own sweet time. So I, I think it was like the 200th, maybe 2000th layer. Scratch that. The 2008th layer. When I finally forgave the doctor that had butchered me and realized that he, in fact, had much bigger problems than just me. I forgave many things over the years since then. I've become a much warmer person. But there was always that little bit under the surface, something that just didn't quite feel done. And here we are. Now we get to the forgiveness part. This is where my original title came from, The Survival, Zombies, and Forgiveness. And I can just see your face going, what? How does zombies come in here? So just wait a moment. You see, just a couple of years ago, Around Halloween, I went to this one-day event put on by someone that I totally respect. And she had quite a number of incredible speakers on a variety of different subjects. An awful lot of it to do with self-mastery and mental health and mindfulness and being your best you and getting through the challenges in your life. It was incredibly interesting, and every speaker had a phenomenal story. Just before lunch, the organizer of the event took a few moments to talk about her book, and she was currently writing a second book. It was about courage, and as she spoke, she mentioned submission. 
and it stuck in my head and suddenly to my surprise well actually in my head I'm suddenly transported back about 10 years it too was just before Halloween and I'd gone to see my daughter and granddaughter who was about 12 at the time my daughter and my granddaughter and I all loved horror movies it's kind of a family fascination and we understood there was what they called a zombie fest happening in Kingston, Ontario. I brought a friend with me and it was going to be quite a treat for all of us. It was actually set in a drive-in and there were some rides and games and a zombie haunted house maze. So my granddaughter's two little friends were too afraid to enter the maze with us. And we had already seen a few of the zombies that were working the event. And quite frankly, they were really, really well done. The makeup was incredible. And they were all acting totally in character. It was really, really good. My granddaughter and my friend and I went into the beginning of the maze. Oh my God, it was so dark and absolutely black. Around corners, things would jump right out at you. It was really quite scary. About halfway through, we came to a very sharp right turn. And as we came around the turn, there in front of us, this sort of raised stage lit up. And on it, standing behind this big butcher slab-like table, there was a butcher. He had a butcher apron on, and it was covered in blood. And on the table, there were well, basically what looked like body parts. And in his hand, he had a great big cleaver. It's funny how right away I knew he was a butcher, okay? He was cutting something on that big table. And as we rounded the corner, he stopped what he was doing. He raised the cleaver. He stepped out from behind that slab all of a sudden, I totally lost all reason. The next thing I know, my granddaughter is squirming in my hands as I put her between myself and the butcher as a shield. And she's saying, oh my God, Grandma, what are you doing? Now, you have to understand, I love my granddaughter more than life itself. And I'm more shocked than anybody at what I've done. And even in my head, I'm screaming at me, what the hell are you doing? But I couldn't help myself. When we got out of the maze, and yes, we made it out, my granddaughter and her friend were horrified that I'd in fact used her as a shield. I didn't have a decent response for why I'd done that. And my heart didn't stop pounding for about 20 minutes. And then, of course, for the rest of the night, there were zombies popping up around our car, making us scream and freaking out. And the drive-in movie continued to play. And every time the kids got out of the car to go to the concession stand, I had to confront myself again for what had happened. I was absolutely shocked. So here I am in an event about self-discovery 
wonderful speakers have been talking, the organizers talking, we're going to break for lunch. And I realize here I am sitting in a room of a hundred and some odd people and they're discussing courage and being kind to others and life trials. And oh my God, nowhere, no one at any point mentioned zombies or Halloween or good God, sacrificing people in your family. Now, this all happened in nanoseconds in my head. It all flashed through me. It's now the lunch break. I'm trying to shake this off, and as I get up out of the seat, thinking, good God, that's bizarre. What, why is my head going bare? I, I really wanted to be at this event. I wanted to be present because I needed to learn more. As we went off to lunch, a relatively new friend asked if I would sit with her. And as we sat down, she said, how did I feel it was going? She mentioned she'd seen part of the talk I had done about my accident and mentioned that she knew a bit about my story. Shaking my head, I told her what had just happened to me. And as I related the story of my zombie shame, suddenly a name flashed through my mind. Sergeant Campbell. For decades now, I couldn't remember the name of the policeman that was involved in my accident back in 1976 when I was 20 years old. Sergeant Campbell, he never came to the hospital. He never even checked to see if I lived or died. I went through the accident again and again as I had so many, many times. You see, he was standing between the two cars with me he was on the side closest to the snowbanks, and he was over six feet tall. I'm barely 5'2". He could see over the uplifted hood of the car as the lights of the oncoming car hit the curve in the highway. I didn't even see him dive into the snowbank to save himself. It all happened too fast. Because you see, he didn't do it on purpose. It was a survival instinct. His limbic brain took over because it's there simply to make us survive. And in that instant, sitting with that lady at lunch, I suddenly re realized that, you know, in reliving that moment of terror in the zombie maze, it was my limbic system, that survival instinct that had taken over. I wasn't thinking. I wasn't overtly thinking that I was going to put my granddaughter in front of me. My limbic brain was just trying to make me survive. And guess what? So was Sergeant Campbell at the time of my accident. You see, our limbic brains they don't distinguish between time and circumstance. They just want us to go on. Survival is all that matters. 
the hell with whatever else is around us. I don't think that Sergeant Campbell ever thought about leaving me there to be crushed between three cars. I don't think he thought about standing around and not checking to see if I was still alive. I don't think he ever thought about not calling an ambulance back then. There were no cell phones. And I don't think he thought about standing frozen at his cruiser the entire time the young man who hit my car ran down to the nearest restaurant, woke the people up, and called for an ambulance. He stood there the entire time the paramedics worked on me. But I don't think he thought about any of that. I don't think he was thinking at all. And in this moment, sitting at this table, I realize I have to forgive Sergeant Campbell. Because good God, if I can't put my granddaughter in front of me, someone I love so dearly, what possible chance did this man have protecting someone he'd never met before. Now, I do realize that for all those months, he didn't come to the hospital, not even once. A whole time I lay there, it was probably partly due to embarrassment and partly due to his job. I realized that we can't escape our survival instinct and it just doesn't work. More to the point, I realized I couldn't carry the weight of that lack of forgiveness anymore. I'd been dragging that burden around for more than 39 years. And honestly, I got up from that table and the lady across from me said I had the biggest smile on my face. I felt like Alistair Sim in Scrooge when he said, I'm as giddy as a schoolboy. Well, I was as giddy as a schoolgirl. I felt on top of the world. Everything seemed more beautiful, more colorful. Everything was just better. We went back into the event and I got to grab the organizer for just a moment and tell her, oh my God, I got something so cool to tell you later. She later said she had no idea why I looked as happy as I did when I grabbed her arm. When I got together with her a bit later, her first comment really hit home. She said, yeah, it's wonderful that you forgive him after 39 years, but what about you? I can tell you that stopped me cold. You see, in all of my life, I'd never really put me in the equation. I never took two minutes to stop and think about me. Not in any of the crap that happened. Now, it is so incredibly important when you have all these lessons throughout your lifetime that you listen. Because if you don't listen to the lesson, you're doomed to repeat it. And you know what? 
In my case, sometimes the actual lesson and the penny dropping are decades apart. I said this story was about forgiveness, and it really is. What's sad to me is that it had to be presented to me that forgiving myself was required before that thought ever crossed my mind. I can tell you now that looking back, had I forgiven myself sooner, me, myself, and I would have had a much healthier relationship. You know, perhaps it would have been less derogatory self-talk, a more gentle, caring, and kind self. I figured out, though, I really don't believe in regrets. All of the things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the pain, the angst, the suicide attempts. They were all a required part of my life because it took each and every one of them, all of those experiences, to make me who I am today. And I can now say, sitting here, telling the story, I wouldn't change a single one of them. I really like who I am now. And here's the really good news. It's never too late. I'm finally free of my burdens. I'm forgiven along with everyone else. I'm not drinking the poison anymore. And that's an incredibly good thing on a number of levels. So I want you to dig deep. Take some time to forgive yourself for whatever you've got, whatever you think you've done. Because when it all comes down to it, we're only left with ourselves. Just us. You're going to be with you for all time. I think it makes a lot of sense to be kind to the person you'll spend the most time with. That's you. Thanks so much for listening. It's Elaine, and I want for you to make the very best of your today, every day. And I look forward to talking with you again. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results.